Welcome to the Guardian Project Podcast. I'm Fabiola Maurice, and today we're going to talk about the internet freedom as a standards activity. And to do so, I have with me uh, one of the Guardian Project founders, David Oliver. David, thank you for being here. Welcome. Hi, Fabi. Nice to talk with you today. And he agreed to be with me today here because he's been a member of the organization that takes care of the standards in the internet. Uh, David, can we start by asking you a little bit more about what is the IETF? Yes, the, the Internet Engineering Task Force is an organization that's been around for quite a while. In fact, since the Internet itself became a public entity, that is to say, when the world first started hearing about and using the Internet early on, um, the activities for how new standards developed around the Internet moved into this this body, the IETF for short, the Internet Engineering Task Force. That was right around 1993. Before that point, there had been other um, lower key organizational bodies, and a lot of them were based on the research that, that was under the founding of the Internet, going back as far as 1981. So the important thing here is that it's, it's the body that has become the foremost way that the people who use the internet develop the long-term standards of the internet. All right. So this organization has been around for a while. Um, can you tell us how is it organized? Yes. It's really interesting because it does differ from older and more established standards bodies. The, the internet engineering task force is composed of these entities we call birds of a feather groups who are people, um, you know, in computer science or in internet freedom or, or other areas who have common topics of interest. And then there are working groups that form from those, those birds of a feather groups who take raw ideas and convert them into working standards. So membership, really interesting membership is, is open to the public. You can be either a member of a interest area, like a birds of a feather group, or you can be part of a real working group. They meet th three times a year in person. That is when it's not a pandemic. There are three annual meetings. There are mailing lists to which anybody can subscribe. And then increasingly, these teams are using GitHub or other um, public repositories for documentation so that people can see how things are evolving and the discussion around things evol evolving. Um, members do fund their own participation. So whereas it is open to the public, uh, there and pe people have to get their own funding to be part of it. We have technical representatives from commercial vendors. There are academic researchers. There are people of all kinds involved in nonprofit organizations. And there can even be just concerned citizens uh, who, who can come uh, and talk about or become interested and active in the various topics. One important change that has happened over the last decade or so is that is that the IETF now has a code of conduct. And this is, is a way to both encourage debate, but also allow 
people who are not affiliated with the big companies or with the people that are, you know, have the most number of machines on the internet or, or however you want to think about size, but to let smaller voices um, have a way to contribute at every level. And this is um, something that evolved out of changing from a research project in a very specific area out into something that's part of the public sphere. Importantly for our area in internet freedom, the Human Rights Protocol Considerations Research Group, which was chartered in 2017, really helps to inform the IETF who think in a very engineering-oriented fashion. It helps them craft those thoughts around um, human-centric terms and, and the the, the problems and use cases and scenarios that real users of the internet encounter every day. So that's an extremely new, but also very beneficial way that when I said small voices, people with small voices can be heard through that organization. There's another group that we're part of, the Privacy Enhancements and Assessment Assessments Research Group, who bring... Uh, human rights and internet freedom research work into the IETF. So people who look at changes in national internet gateway strategies and the amount of spam in your email and whether people are mining your IP address out of log files that are hanging around on servers, all kinds of things that people are discovering and doing research on are brought in by that organization specific to the area of privacy. Lastly, the one thing I want to mention, because the way I just described it, this sounds like kind of a ragtag bunch of people. It isn't really that at all. It's very well organized in a structure sense, but the people at the bottom, the people who have the concerns and the engineering skills drive what the interesting activities are of the IETF. There is, however, something called the Internet Architecture Board, and they have a, an oversight type role that when there are interests or, or they can see things congeal around certain areas, they can provide strategy or vision. And interestingly, I think it, it could be argued that privacy is the last time uh, the big memorable, memorable event that that where the architecture board got involved and and thought we've got to uh, promote in the various ways we do that uh, privacy on the Internet. So that's kind of how we see it organized. Right. So this is a very big and diverse organization. I imagine producing new standards must be a complex and interesting process. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. And this is the area, Fabi, where, um, where the IETF historically differed dramatically from other organizations. And specifically, they work on the idea of rough consensus. And And that there are no formal votes for anything. So it isn't a case where some document is produced and then some set of anointed individuals raise their hand at the appropriate time. It is about moving forward in a way that the largest possible agreement is possible uh, 
without defining how that's going to actually come out. And part of this rough consensus is based on what we call demonstrated interoperability among independently developed implementations. I know that's kind of a big, a, a mouthful, right? Right. So I guess the best way I can, I can, can say this is, is that there are ideas that happen. These birds of a feather groups generate ideas. Um, and these are sometimes just roughly formed I, ideas, but they might be enough to put together a few lines of code and try out what this idea might be like. Well, that's, that's valid because it, it, it allows us to understand how, you know, a, a sort of a, just a wording framework becomes an artifact in usable computer code. But, it's, but one leap forward of, of the IETF is that they realized, well, if you just have one of those, you don't know how any organization is going to build their version of what they read. And so the idea was that there always must be multiple people working on it independently. And those things must interoperate because all of the standards of the, of the internet are about how things talk to each other and how entities like hosts or mobile devices or servers or routers, how all those things have to interact. So a router vendor might produce a, a, a component of a standard. Um, uh, a, um, a software vendor who has a service on the internet might provide another component. And, and as you're moving your idea forward between raw idea and standard, and the act of clarifying the idea is about clarifying what's being implemented. And, and are we, is the code in line with the idea? Is the idea in line? Is the idea even implementable in code? So this idea of going back and forth between talking about it and implementing it and using that to inform your decision is really a, a key aspect of what, make, what made I, I, IT, IETF unique. So the basic mechanism is that somebody will come up with an idea and that's, that's proposed as an internet draft and then a group will form, a working group, if it's a good idea, will form around starting to implement the idea and starting to clarify the idea. And that process goes around and around until there are revi revisions to that, to that proposal. And then at some point, the working group will say to the Internet Engineering Task Force as a whole, we think we have a good idea here. And we've proven it, and we want to publish it. And there is an administrative process that that thing goes through to become a standard. But the, that process is not about voting for it or not. It's about making sure that the information is available in the right way. So that's a, this iterative idea, as opposed to something coming down from the top, as they say, some anointed group of people who are somehow in charge. It, this, this process works in a very bottom-up sort of way, um, and that's yielded quite a, a lot of good results. Great, that's very interesting and it makes a lot of sense, especially because the internet takes over the world and not only one group should be making decisions over it. Um, now tell us, why is the IETS important? Well, it's it definitely the key place where 
all the players are in the room, if you want to put it that way. The, the, the one interesting aspect of the internet is that people have to cooperate. The, the various hardware pieces or software pieces that exist on the internet and take advantage of the internet have to work together to make the internet successful. So that notion of cooperation is, is one of the foundational necessities. So this, this body, the IETF, embodies that idea of cooperation. Um, I think secondly, an important thing is that it's very inclusive at this point. Now, I've only been going to meetings directly for several years, but I've been impressed at the range of, of people. And what I mean by that is their qualifications, technically, philosophically, <laughs> you know, those kind of things coming to, together to inform work. So I, I think that's, that's a very important aspect of it. It's easy to see standards bodies or the internet engineering task force as being made up of the largest manufacturers or the largest service providers. And certainly they're there, but it, it has amazed me in the time that I've worked there, um, how these, what we would call small voices really do actually have a big voice. Um, the other thing is that unlike other areas, uh, we're seeing a lot of academic research now being being closeted inside these containers where you have to have a subscription to be able to get the material, IETF documents, their entire workflow is now almost completely public. So you can know about the most brand new, ill-formed ideas um, immediately, or you can look back all the way to the beginning at the most early published documented standards in a completely open and obvious way. So that helps everybody be, in, be informed. In addition to, to those documents, there exist these implementations. And increasingly, I, this did not happen at the start, but increasingly, the source code for these implementations is available. And um, in places where it isn't, what, what we're starting to see is that there is at least one, inter one open source implementation. On the other hand, just knowing that the way a closed source implementation got built was that it had to interoperate with others, even that's a level of knowledge that we didn't have before the IETF. When, we, when vendors provided their own networks and you had no idea how the, how the code at the bottom of that network ran, at the IETF, there's a spec that describes it and, it, and it, we, it's known to have been implemented in a certain way. So all of these you know, increasing disclosure has been a very, very positive thing. Another area that's a little bit hard to understand at, in modern times, and maybe it's because I'm of a certain age that I was around when things were different, but these, the standards and even just the drafts or the information that the Internet Engineering Task Force produces these things are decoupled bits of knowledge. They're not one monster system that can only work if you buy it from one vendor or, it only, it, or that it might only work in one way because that was the only way it was defined. The one early lesson, very early, even before IETF was formed, 
is that the number of use cases, the kind of dreams people would have for the internet could not be known in advance and that everything had to be done in a way that was planning for it to be used in ways that were unimagined. And I think IETF has done remarkably well at, at not blowing it, you know, at, at least at keeping things such that always new thinking can be brought to the table. Great. Okay. So now we know that the IETF has been around for a long time and it has helped shape the internet as we know it today. Uh, to give our, our audience a better idea of their work, can you mention some of the more memorable IETF standards? Sure. The, the important ones and, and the oldest ones are, of course, the Internet Protocol itself and then the Transmission Control Protocol. Now, we refer to these by the shorthand TCP IP, and these are the, um, the, the fundamental excellent design work of, of people using a cooperative process and having an open mind about what they were going to be used for in the future. Uh, so these have been incredibly durable standards that have that serve as the basis for essentially um, the open world that we have uh, that we have today. Next, a little bit later, almost 15 years later, is the hypertext transfer protocol or HTTP, and that was um, uh, was a way that that made what I like to think is that it made content visible. And uh, before you could imagine a series of very high walls, it's like the, the, the canyon created by the streets in, in, in New York City with the tall buildings on each side. There's nothing to see here. Everything is behind these walls. But with, with HTTP, it gave applications and users a way to move around this open space in a way that made sense, in a way that linked to content that they wanted, um, in a way that, that uh, made, made more sense than anything had in the past when the kind of information was wrapped up in the applications that you needed. Um, uh, a, a brand new one. Well, let me talk about another one first. That's the transport layer security specification or TLS. And that came in 99. That was very important because we started to realize around this point in time that the notion that people were wandering around the internet consuming in information, um, people started to think that maybe we needed to be careful, more careful about, about, having those activities seen in ways that that were not were not wise for everybody in the long term. So transport layer security was a huge effort on the part of the IETF to get global consensus around how to make connections secure. Um, a, a tremendous piece of work, um, 1999. The most interesting new, the, the biggest change to the internet overall um, which is just being fielded now is something called Quick UDP Internet Connections or QUIC Quick for short. And this is the biggest lesson learned over literally 50 years of using the internet now. The biggest lesson learned about useful changes in those 1981 protocols, TCP and IP. 
And um, this is happening. This is a, was work done originally by Google, but has transformed um, into a completely IETF supported with many, many implementations now um, that will improve performance for users and uh, make a lot of things done behind the scenes a lot easier and a lot faster than they were in the past. So this is the biggest, I would, I'm going to call this, uh, people can debate this with me, I'm sure, but I'm going to call this the, the biggest change in the core internet uh, since its founding. I think in our area of human rights, um, the, the biggest things that I see were a, a paper that came out, uh, a draft, uh, excuse me, a request for comment that came out in 2014, pervasive monitoring is an attack. And this is a recognition, hard as it was, by the Internet Engineering Task Force, that the kinds of monitoring of every single activity done on the Internet by parties who's of, you know, questionable authority or questionable need, um, that that is actually an attack on all of us. All that monitoring is not something anybody asked for. And it, it had by 2014 gotten to the point where um, it's bad for the internet. That was the position of this paper. And from this paper have stemmed a lot, the most important activities about privacy on the internet within the internet engineering task force. So it could be argued that it's the most important event for internet freedom since the start of the internet, possibly. <laughs> Maybe I'm exaggerating. I don't know. And the last thing is that, that when the human rights or excuse me, when the yeah, human rights protocol considerations group started, um, they uh, developed a very influential um, internet draft called guidelines for human rights protocols and architecture considerations. And that has become the, the documentary sort of statement or evidence, whichever you would call it about when designing new protocols, how to have considerations about human rights be part of it. And I think those are to, to me, you know, there, there are so many, there are like 8,000 standards. Now it's, it's hard to pick out a few, but in our area of human rights, if we could start from the very foundations and work up to where we are today, I think these really represent the best, the most important work. Yeah. All the ones you just mentioned were very impactful. Now let's go back to the internet freedom community and how is it affected by the IETF? work. Uh, can you mention some of their more current work and how is it affecting the internet freedom community? Sure. This is a great topic for, for, for us um, because it's, uh, you know, the, I think we used to consider the internet freedom community uh, maybe small, but now the internet freedom community has grown quite large and aspects of this impact everyone, whether they know it or not. So I think these are the activities activities that have really been, I think, foremost in, in, in thinking about this internet freedom idea. The first is that transport layer security, which I mentioned was work in 1999, is getting its third revision. And, and it is looking at these modern use cases, meaning it's uh, the modern kinds of applications that are being developed, as well as the modern problems illustrated by that paper called pervasive monitoring is an attack. So if, if you look at the good and the bad and the changes in the way people are using things, TLS 1.3, the newest modification of transport layer security is really the biggest. 
And the subset to that is something called encrypted client hello, which used to be called encrypted server name identifier. And this is is a piece of the internet protocol at the very lowest level where, um, where some of the worst problems of security were happening and security and privacy were happening. So TLS uh, 1.3 incorporates this idea of encrypted client hello, which means that uh, what had previously been open, wide open metadata that any entity on the internet could see will now be much harder to see. And that means we can have more secure connections for every aspect of what we're doing, uh, not just a few and not leaking this metadata, meaning where we're connecting to and who we are all over the place. I think the next one relates to the domain name system and that's security there. There's a lot of controversy about the domain name system and its role in the internet. And in, in most ways, it's the most important thing that differentiated the internet from other networks at the time. Um, but it was designed in, in a way that had certain assumptions that may no longer be true. That can be, it could be argued both ways, um, whether, the, whether the initial assumptions for the name service are still valid. So there is a lot of work with, amongst the experts on the domain name service in improving it. And, um, you know, this is a huge area for IETF because the domain name service impacts everybody, everybody on the, on the globe. Um, in a, in a, another new area, very specific to internet freedom is something called privacy pass. And this is, is maybe the only effort I'm aware of. I, I can always work harder to find more, but where we are, purposely trying to allow access to resources where the user's identity doesn't have to be a key component of that. Now, it had been in the past that there were a lot of pieces of information that why would anybody care about, about your identity? Well, it started over, over time, we've had to provide identity information for more and more and more things, whether that was necessary specifically or not. And so there is a recognition now that there needs to be a way to provide access to information that doesn't require um, identity to really not require identity. And so privacy pass is one aspect um, uh, of this that also has to respond to the problem of automated internet beings called bots, you know, that are programmatic entities that are searching around the internet, trying to find leaks and loopholes and all that. So this is a, this is a newer and quite new effort. Um, there's a lot of math involved in this one and, and a lot of challenging um, uh, work on how this is going to be architected in the overall sense. So this is just a brand new activity. And then one, I think that's my favorite. I have to say I'm biased a little bit here, but it also relates a lot to the internet, to, excuse me, to the work that Guardian Project does is messaging layer security. And this is uh, the first effort to really define security and privacy for group messaging, not just person to person, but group type, type messaging um, in a way that can have an architecture that the people that that people who build these systems understand. Now, it's not requiring interoperability among different vendors, but what it's saying is we would all benefit 
all, all the vendors and all the users if we all understood a security and privacy framework that made sense, as opposed to thinking up our own every time. So this is a very interesting activity, um, which will not result in end user software, but kind of a layer below there where um, the people who do the hard work of building these systems have a common set of concepts they, they agree on. So to me, those are the new areas that are the most impactful on, on human rights and internet freedom, Fabi. Right. Um, okay, as I understand, the IETF works in a very broad and complex ecosystem, uh, so there must be limits to their effectiveness. Can you talk about that? Well, for sure. The most important one is that um, those of us who are working hard in the internet freedom community try to improve things on a daily basis, try to make things better today than they were yesterday. And standards activities take a very long time. <laughs> so the notion that it's that, uh, that these processes are too slow is, is one that a lot of people have. Um, on the other hand, in, in a, in a really positive a more positive way to see it is, is that standards do require deliberation, meaning you want to hear from a variety of parties. You want to think hard about solutions that don't create worse problems. And you want to have a forum for these things to be discussed um, so that you produce a better end result. Um, and in the case of IETF, you need to build those interoperable implementations. So what IETF does trade off time, meaning it's going to take a while to get that standard, but if it's, but IETF works in a way that's transparent because you can see all, all of its activities and, and participatory, meaning the kind of people we would hope are involved helping are involved from the very first day. So I, I do want to call speed a limitation because speed is not our, for our forte, but I think that IETF does that quite quite well. The, the real thing for me, the real way I would put it is that when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And IETF works on the internet infrastructure. That's the thing, that's the area on which they can solve problems. But it may be that problems are better solved elsewhere uh, in other standards organizations or maybe even outside the standards bodies. Maybe there are legal frameworks or cultural frameworks or whatever. But once an activity begins within IETF um, uh, to try to use the internet infrastructure to solve the, a problem, then that activity goes its own way. And granted, everybody is participating, but at the end of the day, the only solution can be an internet-based solution. So it's kind of its own limit. That's the way I would put it, Fabi. All right. And now that we're talking about problems, what would you say is the most important problem affecting the internet? You know, that's a good one. Uh, and I will say that at at the same time, this, this would be my opinion, plus I can 
as, as I hear and listen to the ongoing activities, I feel it is a well-known issue that people are working on, and that is the problem of centralization, meaning that that the kinds of activities happening on the internet, whether they're the hardware that the internet is built from or the kind of services and tools that we use on the internet are falling into fewer and fewer hands. And that large organizations um, have an inordinate amount of sway in, um, in what's being done, what's being used and how it's being used. And so there are um, there there has always been work on decentralization and a movement away from uh, uh, organizing things in hierarchies that have authorities that are assigned and and things like that. There's always been the pendulum swing of doing things the opposite way, meaning completely decentralized. And so this is an ongoing discussion. Um, and it will be interesting to see how an, the organization that works on the internet's infrastructure deals with this idea of central versus decentralized. And uh, I do think that's the area where a, a human rights and internet freedom voice is is very valid. And I think the, the notion that this problem arose out of a, a set of things going on internally and a set of things happening externally, I do feel as though there are many great voices in the room to have this conversation. Great. Okay. Um, we're about to conclude our podcast, but let's talk about something very important. Uh, what is next in our IETF participation? You know, it's so interesting that just being there is a, uh, is, is, is a great thing for the internet freedom community. We have some key people who work on the standards, who are actively involved in some of the very ones that I mentioned. And by that, I mean, they read the document, they agree, they help out with whether the document matches the philosophy. They can debate the, um, both the philosophy of an idea and they can debate the technical points of it. Um, and, and it's useful to be there as be part of that activity. Obviously, that's where we want to be. Transparency and being present is really a big thing. Um, another thing that's great is, is that we hear about uh, items that are brought in from new areas, from people not associated directly with internet freedom, but who are doing working in areas that either now or will impact internet freedom. So being able to, that the fact that IETF provides a forum for those individuals really helps out. And again, just listening and being there and informing is, uh, is a big thing. But I've, I've come to believe that, uh, that something I touched on earlier, which is that, that as standards develop, if there are open source implementations of these protocols, we have the ultimate level of transparency, meaning we're able to see the philosophy, read the discussion, read the standard and see the implementation. And, and that's a, that's a, I don't know that it brings things full circle or I don't know that it provides complete closure, but it's a, it's, I think it's a very, very good 
addition to the suite of things the internet freedom community is doing for the internet and the globe, people around the globe itself. So uh, I think that's a great way that we in the internet freedom community can be involved. And we here at Guardian Project actually have a couple of those activities. The first is that we're working on an implementation of a piece of the mask protocol, which was a 2018-19, excuse me, addition. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, this encrypted client hello um, sub component of the new transport layer security. And in fact, that's a, that idea is coming to closure. That coding work is coming to closure a little faster than the mask work is. And maybe it would be a good idea to, to get one or more of those people to come on the podcast and really tell us about what that activity was like. Does that make sense, Fabi? I think that's a great idea. We should make it happen. It was- okay, I'll work, my, I'll work my side of that if you'll work your side. I will. I'll be happy to host one of them with you, of course, and add up to this. Yeah, fantastic. I'd be happy to do it, too, and I'll, I'll do my part to getting that moving, okay? Thank you so much for all this information and your time. Thank you, Fabi. I appreciate you having me on, and I'd love to do it again. So see you next time. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.